the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30, we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Hi folks, just a quick note up top. Last Sunday, March 22nd, was our second ever Facebook live-streamed worship service. In this age of a novel coronavirus, we are practicing social distancing and we are streaming our services every Sunday, 9.30 a.m. on Facebook. We're learning a lot about how to do this. And one of the things I learned last Sunday is that I did not hit record on our sermon uh, recording device. So I'm recording this on Tuesday in my home. I hope that this sermon is a blessing to you, and I hope that you can join us for worship on Facebook. As we prepare to hear the scriptures, let us pray. Merciful God, your word is our way of truth and life. Create in us hearts that are clean and put your Holy Spirit within us so that we may receive your grace and glorify you in our grateful acts of service. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of Genesis. Listen for God's word to you. The Lord said to Abram, Leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Abram left just as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. Abram took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all of their possessions, and those who became members of their household in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they arrived in Canaan, Abram traveled through the land as far as the sacred place at Shechem, at the Oak of Moreh. The Canaanites lived in the land at that time. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, I give this land to your descendants. So Abram built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. From there, Abram traveled toward the mountains east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and worshiped in the Lord's name. Then Abram set out toward the arid southern plain, making and breaking camp as he went. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Our second reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Listen, the word is near to us on our lips and in our hearts. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus came near and spoke to them. I have received all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A few years ago, a church in Minnesota adopted a controversial new vision statement. We fearlessly follow the Holy Spirit into a changing world. Any guesses as to which word drove people into a tizzy? That's right, fearlessly. These days, we might agree. A new virus is spreading at an alarming rate. We've done our best to stay at home in case we're carrying it and don't know it, or in case our immune systems won't be able to weather infection. We might want to replace fearlessly with cautiously or carefully. We carefully follow the Holy Spirit into a changing world. It has a nice ring to it. We sometimes think of fearless as the opposite of careful or prudent. We sometimes make fearless equal to reckless or foolish, embodied in the college students flooding Florida beach towns whose spring break plans are more important to them than containing a pandemic. I think the disciples also confused foolish with fearless. When Jesus paraded into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, festival goers lining the streets with palm branches and the coats off their backs, the disciples must have worried. This is reckless. There are going to be consequences. When one of Jesus' closest friends decided to betray him, he must have thought, this is the prudent way to go. It's time to stop this foolishness. When Jesus was arrested, the other disciples deserted him, and one of them, Peter, even denied knowing Jesus. Admit knowing Jesus? Are you crazy? After Jesus died, some of them went back to fishing. Better to do what you know than to travel a road that's not on any maps. But then Jesus surprised them. Jesus, fearless as ever, did what no one was expecting. He didn't stay dead. Now that the disciples have arrived in Galilee, now that they see Jesus alive, the gospel says they worshipped him. 
but some doubted. And of course some of the eleven doubted. Maybe they were even afraid. Just a few days ago, Jesus was dead. How could this really be him? And you know what? Jesus rolls with it. Jesus doesn't act surprised that some of his dearest friends doubt what they behold with their own eyes, let alone that they doubt the good news proclaimed by Mary Magdalene. Jesus doesn't withhold himself until they believe the right way or get with the program. Instead, Matthew writes, Jesus came near. That right there is a gospel move. We don't work our way or pray our way or believe our way to God. God comes to us. The Word became flesh. Jesus comes near to us, even to us doubters. Not waiting for the disciples to reach him, not waiting for them to understand, Jesus draws near to counter bad news with gospel words. I've received all authority in heaven and on earth. In our bad news world, authority usually comes up when leaders abuse power or when factions dispute about who should have control. But as a gospel word, authority is the power from God to author a new story. God is always authoring new stories. Just look at Abram and Sarai. The Holy One said to them, Leave your land and your family for a land you haven't seen yet. You used to belong to an established nation, but now you are going to be the beginning of a new people. As Rabbi Norman Hirsch mused poetically, God disturbs us toward our destiny by hard events and by freedom's now urgent voice, which explode and confirm who we are. We don't like leaving, but God loves becoming. Our God loves writing new stories. In Jesus Christ, the authority of heaven and earth writes a new kind of story. This is a story whose characters honor poor folks and show mercy, who pack boxes of pantry staples to give away to hungry neighbors. This is a story whose characters are salt and light for the whole world, who preserve the flavor of their local communities by ordering food from hard-hit restaurants, who illuminate opportunities to help out. This is a story whose characters come from all nations, Judea and Samaria and beyond, the United States and China, Italy, and Argentina, and Iran. This is a story where there are no people outside of God's love, and there is no need to be afraid of differences. In essence, 
When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he says, invite others to join this story that I am writing. These are gospel words, fearless words even. But our ears are still tuned to the frequency of bad news. Here's the bad news that my ears pick up. If I'm a character in Jesus' new story, then I have to throw out the storylines I'm used to. Storylines like, I can't let anyone see me mess up, or else I'll blow my cover, and people will see what I truly am. Or storylines like, if I can't worship in the way I have for years, then I can't worship at all. Or storylines where characters are divided into us and them, where either I'm one of the heroes or one of the villains. I'm not saying that I prefer these scripts to Jesus' new story, but I know them. I've practiced them for a long time. We're all very talented performers here. I'm sure you all have played just as many, if not more, characters. Whatever our storylines have been, I imagine that they share a common feature. God is far off, judging us from a distance, busy somewhere else, or just gone altogether. But in this new story, God comes near. God interrupts the elaborate production we are staging and says, come, follow me. God sees us running ourselves ragged in our character acting and says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. God knows our doubts, our self-doubts, our faith doubts, and comes near to say, I am writing a new story, and I have the perfect role for you in mind. That role is not the perfect person who never makes mistakes. That role is not the expert or the magician. It doesn't require any of us to die on a cross, because let's face it, that role has already been taken. No, the role that the author of life is writing for you and me is that of the disciple, the student, because after all, that's what disciple means. That's why you can find the word disciple in discipline. But Jesus' story of discipleship does not cast us as the overly tested student or the sleep-deprived student, or the dread-filled student. This role is more like the wonderstruck student, curious about other people's stories. This role is more like the playful student, splashing around in the waters of baptism. This role is more like the student fueled by imagination, who can inhabit a kingdom that has not yet come, 
but is already here, who can puzzle through parables and picture a world where loving enemies is possible. This role is more like the student who invites others to join the game of make-believe. This role is essentially a preschooler. A couple Sundays ago, we heard Jesus say, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps this is true, because children can be fearless. But after years of growing up in a bad news world, it's hard to shake off fear. Fear of failure, fear of scorn, fear of other people infecting us, fear of us infecting other people, fear of disappointing God. That's when Jesus looks each of us straight in the eyes and gives us words of courage. Look, I myself will be with you every day until the end of this present age. Jesus has not only come near, he is with us. Folks, he isn't going anywhere. Jesus is with us even when coronavirus brings in-person gatherings to a screeching halt. Jesus is with us even when we struggle to keep our businesses open. Jesus is with us, even when we're isolated or alone. Jesus is with us, reminding us that in this story that he is writing, the characters we play are none other than our true selves. Children of the triune God, loved beyond measure. Years ago, my husband Yedad was in charge of watching a group of children at play. One particularly kinetic four-year-old was running around in a circle, arms wide like an airplane. All of a sudden, down she fell. Yedad gasped, frozen in place by fear. But then the girl got up and announced before resuming her course, I'm okay. I'm brave. Folks, when we fall, the story doesn't end. When our doubts reassert themselves, when our fears rehearse their tired lines, Jesus is with us, still making child of God our story. We can be children who are brave, not because there is nothing to fear, but because we belong to God, our maker and story writer and savior. Friends, even with pandemic and panic sweeping the land, I encourage you, take up Jesus' call. Fearlessly follow the Holy Spirit, even if it means staying home. Claim the new role the author of life has written for you. 
Go in peace, beloved and brave ones. By God's grace, invite others to become characters in this joyful story. And at all times and in all places, let us give all glory and all our gratitude to God, from whom every family under heaven takes its name, who has pitched a tent alongside us, who sends us to the ends of the earth. Amen.